You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Doesn't mean anything? Then then what what worth is it? And I would say that for all of us, right? If we're, if we're in here and we sing on a Sunday morning, but, but it's just one of those, I'm singing because it's what I'm supposed to do because I'm in church. Then, then I have a question, is, is that real? Is, are the lyrics really what you're trying to communicate to anybody, whether it's the, the people that are sitting next to you or even to God as we sing praise? Yeah, what, what does life look like? And, and if this is, if life is supposed to look like we belong to Christ, then our life ought to look different than those that don't belong to Christ. Would you agree? And so when we, when we think about that, we think of our life in terms of what it should look like at the, at the end. And that you may say, well, that's really kind of a morbid thought, but is God not working to an end in your life? Is he not working to an end in my life? And what does he want that end to look like? You know, it's really preparation for us spending eternity with him, isn't it? I mean, this life is temporary. You know that, and I know that. And some of us will make it through the next week. There may be some that will not make it through the next week in this life. And we've got to say, okay, so God, what... What do you want my life to look like? And now we, we think of it in terms of even, even day-to-day stuff and, and in terms of the 70 or 80 or 122 years that we have, right? We, we plan that. I mean, some of you are working for the day that you can say and walk into your job and say, I'm done, see ya, bye, packing my bag, I'm going home, and you have this plan for retirement going forward, whether that's on a golf course, on a boat, um, as a hermit in the woods, you know, I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like, but you have this plan. And so you have this, this end game in mind. And we, we look at it like that, and we even do that with simple things. Um, Isaac, I'm going to pick on you again. This is a, two weeks in a row. Uh, I, likely it will not be three weeks. I'm not going to ask you to come up here, but you bake cakes, right? He has he has baked I don't I don't know how many cakes. Now I've heard that it takes you a long time to bake a cake. That's okay because his cakes are excellent. I've I've gained seven pounds since since you delivered cakes. Thank you very much. I don't know what's in there, but whatever it is seems to um, have an expansive work, it does an expansive work in my life. Um, but you have an end game in mind. You know what that's going to look like. So when you start that process, you say, well, this is what I want it to look like. like. You don't want it to be just like flat on the counter when you're done, kind of dump it out of the pan and just blah. you know, be like somebody throwing up cake on your counter. That would be gross. But you know, you have, you want it to look correct. And then you deliver it so that you can influence people's lives, right? And however that looks. 
And we, we do that. We take on a project and we say, well, this is what I want it to look like. If we do brakes on the car, we say, well, I'm going to work on the brakes on my car. And at the end of that, I want my car to stop when I want it to stop. If we did brakes on the car and we just rolled right through the stop sign because we hit the pedal and nothing happened, then we would say we have failed in what we need to do. And we have, we have all those kind of things going on. Every single day, we deal in end games and what we want it to look like when we start a process. Well, Paul does the same thing. Paul, as he writes to Titus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes with an end game in mind. Listen to what it says in Titus 1. Now, we're, we're ending this series today in Titus, but we kind of have to go back and look at a little bit of what Paul wrote to Titus as a whole. And so he wrote this. He said, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. And so he writes, for the faith, for the faith of who? For the faith of believers, those that have trusted God. And so we know that that God has put that in place for the faith of believers to grow in their faith and their relationship with God. Second thing is, is just for that knowledge of truth, for the knowledge of truth. And so through, through that knowledge and through that relationship with Christ, your life ought to look different. You're living out a grace that affects other things. And so Paul's instruction was essentially to cook or bake or repair this idea that this is what the church should look like as an organization. So he talked about elders. He, he talked about the general congregation. He talked about how the older men should work with the younger men and the older women should work with the younger women. And all these pieces, knowing that the church is an organism that should grow and should be in process. The gospel is a powerful thing and it transcends transcends the length of years that Paul was alive, the life of Titus, and ours. We have to understand the gospel is extremely powerful. And so when Paul writes this last little bit to Titus, he's kind of wrapping things up and saying, I've told you all these things about the organization and the organism of the church. Now, this is how it could play out. So would you stand as we read out of Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Titus 3.12 says, When I send Artemis or Titicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. So we're just getting details about Paul's life, where he's going. It says, Diligently help Zenos, the, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And so we would say, here's, here's Paul writing to Titus, and, and Titus is supposed to make sure that these guys, when they're sent, that they've packed their bags well. Now, now that happens. When you guys went to camp, did you pack your own bags? Did your mama check them? Okay. All right. Now, I, I don't know what happened on children's camp, but I know they packed. But here's the question. Have you ever gone on a trip and you got part way and said, I think I forgot something? You just kind of have that sinking feeling about 10 miles down the road, and you go, I'm not turning back. There's a Walmart where I'm going. 
That's this kind of idea. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. And then in verse 14, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds or good occupations to meet, the pre- meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word and for the strength and the power of your word. And Father, as we look at this passage and think about our lives, where we're at, where we need to be, Father, I pray that you would help us to to grasp what you are speaking to us this morning. And Father, that it would bring glory to you as we are obedient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul writes to Titus, gives him these instructions, and essentially what Paul does throughout these three chapters is he gives a new definition of what normal should look like. When my dad retired, um, he retired, he was in Lake City and, and decided that, that he was going to be done with work. When he retired, um, he moved into a house that was freshly painted, it was new, and he had nothing to do. And so he called me, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going crazy. And your mom's driving me nuts too. And so I drove a few hours to come see him. And, and we met, and my mom didn't know this. We met at McDonald's. We sat in McDonald's and he went through and he says, I don't even know what to do. And I said, dude, you need to find a hobby. You can't be around the house. Now he, you know, and I've told you, my dad paints everything. There was nothing left to paint. So he didn't have anything to do. And so, so when we begin this, for him, it was like defining a new normal for him when he retired. And, and we've got to define, and this is what Paul does with Titus. And he says, I want to define a new normal for how the church ought to operate on this island. Uh, it needs to look like this, but it needs to act like this. And it needs to act out of the way that God is working in our lives to accomplish a particular thing. You know, if we didn't trust God, that we would kind of pull back from what God's doing in us. Real, but we realize that God offers us new chances every single morning to do something. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, and you're familiar with this verse says, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And then that word, or that, that phrase that we kind of hold on to, we even sing it in one of our hymns, great is your faithfulness. It's not great as my faithfulness to get up with an alarm clock, as great as the faithfulness of Almighty God to me and to you. And it starts with a relationship with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and we'll read two versions of this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. The new living says it just a little bit different. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so with any project or task, we kind of look and say, okay, what is needed for that? And if the end game of God is to prepare us for eternity, what are the tools 
or the things that need to be in place for us to experience what God is going to do from the time we accept Christ all the way through the time we breathe our last breath. What does that look like? How can we be prepared for that? The first thing I want us to realize is the gospel is intensely personal. The gospel is intensely personal. Titus 2, 14, and we read this before and went through it. He says, it talks about Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. To redeem means to purchase back from the bondage and the penalty of sin. That which created a gap between sinful man and holy God. But not just to redeem us, and drop us. You go to the store, you buy fruit, or you buy vegetables, and you come home. You say, I redeemed that fruit. I bought that fruit and brought it to my house. But I don't let it sit there. When it sits there, and we, Deb and I have got this, this thing right now, if something sits in the house too long, and it cannot be cooked or fixed, and it's not healthy, she throws it in the garbage, which is good, right? No reason to have a science experiment all over the house with green stuff, mold, and all that kind of stuff. We throw it in the garbage, and the response is, cha-ching. Y'all get that? There goes money. Just throwing it away. And God is in the, in the business of redeeming us for a purpose, to purify for himself or complete or mature us to a point where it glorifies him that we look like him to be zealous for good deeds, to finish that out. Acts 17, 29 says, being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, which is what we get when we're in Christ, that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. I appreciate when people do art, but we cannot duplicate what God does. We can't craft what the Holy Spirit can do in the life of an individual. God does a unique work in us. Romans 8, 29 says, For those He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Well, what does it mean to be conformed to the image of God's Son? To, to be changed, isn't it? Do, do we want to be changed? Do we want to be put in, in God's hands for Him to do something with us that would make us look different than we do now? Are you willing to do that? Because that's really what God is about doing. He really don't want you to come to church and then remain as you are. God is in the process and the business of changing us and really just giving us a new normal way of life. A new normal so what does it look like when God begins his work on this intensely personal faith of ours? Because you're not on the heels of anybody else. It's got to be a personal faith. But then what does it look like when God does that? Uh, I want us to, to just kind of immerse ourselves in a scene, if you will. And it's a scene that is really not making a theological statement as such about the the characters that are playing the parts, but what God does in the life of an individual as he's refining them and growing them to look more like his son, Jesus. So you watch. 
masterpiece. But I want to be. I want to be everything that God wants me to be. So I start my day with a prayer, something like this. Dear God, please make me all that you want me to be, all that you want me to do in this life. Dear God, please remove, take away anything that hinders me from being more like your son. Make me the masterpiece, Lord. Thank you for this day. Amen. Hi. Oh, who are you? I'm Bob. No, you're not.
this salvation that you have. I don't want it to just be intellectual head knowledge or sentimental gush. I mean, I want you to work out all the details in your life. You are my original masterpiece. You are my workmanship, and in you I have found favor. And these, don't look at these as prison or punishment, but as a father disciplines his child, a father disciplines the one that he loves. I know this is going to be tough. Yes, it is. I mean, you bought into a lie when you accepted me that you thought this was all going to be easy. But what I want you to do right now is I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Susan is God's original masterpiece. Susan is, no. Not the way you Ephesians 2.10. Did you catch it? It says, for we are his workmanship. It's, it's the idea in that verse is that God is putting together a tapestry. He's weaving us together. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, God prepared beforehand so that we would, what? Walk in them. So that we would do something as we live out our life in Christ. So, so your life in Christ is intensely personal. The gospel applied to your life is just for you. Now we, we'd say it's for everybody, but let's just take you because it's you and God. That was the scene here, right? Was a single person with God and what God is doing in the life of an individual. Second thing is a personal faith is productive. Personal faith is productive. 3.14 says our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So your life in Christ is, is that piece of clothing that is used, but, but it's different than the clothing that we're used to that you take it on and off and then you wash it and then you put it back on, you hang it up, it just kind of is in and out of your life. When we put on Christ, it is something that is there all the time. We allow God to do that work and then we stay in that spot where we allow God access to every part of us. Psalm 1.3 says this, that he, and talking about the, the one that trusts Christ, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. The leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. 
Maybe the thing that we look for is what is God doing in us and, and what, what changes that made in our life that would even make us productive. But listen to what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians 5, 8 and 9 says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk or live in a new normal as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. So is it fair for God to expect fruit? Is that fair? Well, let me ask you this. Is it fair that when you fix something that you would expect it to be fixed? Sure. Is it fair for Isaac when he bakes a cake to start with that and when he finishes, is it fair for him to expect that the cake would look like it's supposed to as a baker does his work? Sure. Then why would it not be fair that when we give God access to our lives and allow him to chisel away the things that are not part of his image, why would it be fair for us to ask God for it to look like something different? God is in the process of working in us. This is how Paul described it to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 7, you know, Paul, when he wrote these letters to the Corinthian church, um, he had to kind of get in their face a little bit. But this is what he said. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then he follows it with this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, some versions say jars of clay, so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God or will be of God and not of ourselves. This personal faith that we claim should be a productive faith. And so it's intensely personal, but it's also productive. And so we can, we can kind of make this prayer if we want. We can say, God, place me in environments where I produce the fruit for your glory. And do we do that? Do we pray those kind of prayers? Say, God, put me in that spot where, where I'll be... I'll be displaying who you are and what you're about. I've watched the, some of the refining fire work in the lives of our students. Um, we've been without a, um, what, what we would kind of describe as a permanent, permanent student pastor for a, a while now. It's been just about a year. But, but I, I'm convinced that even, even in that, as tough as it is, that God works in the lives of students to grow them and to push them and to refine them. If we think that God was not aware a year ago that this was going to take place, we've got another thing coming. God was very aware. God was very aware of the, all that would take place in a transition. But it's for, for things that happen that would bring about stress and push students to grow in their relationship with Christ and to trust him more instead of less. We don't like that God pushes us to trust him more. We like for 
us to tell God this is the way we'd like it. Isn't that true? The third thing is a productive witness is penetrating. Look at verse 14. It says, engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. What Paul is telling Titus, he says, encourage them to meet pressing needs. Encourage them to live out this grace, live out this faith that they have. And and essentially, don't get in the way of what God is doing. So be productive in doing what God's asked you to do and don't get in the way of what God may be doing. I'm, I'm reading a book right now and I'm not very far into it, but the premise or the, the question that is asked in the title is, what made Jesus mad? And I, you know, I was just curious, okay, well, so what made Jesus mad? And this is what the author, this is what Tim Harlow said. He said, in every scriptural instance where Jesus expresses anger, the rawest of all emotions, this is the match that lit his fuse. Do not get in the way of God's love. So how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus express it? Well, in anger, but also he expressed to the Pharisees and other religious leaders, even within the church, always pointing them to a relationship with God, says, do not trust religion. It's not about religion. Don't trust your ancestry. Don't trust that you were born into a Christian family. Therefore, you must be Christian. Don't trust your traditions or what you can do. And then there were those that were outside the community of faith. We know that Jesus kind of went out of his way to speak to those folks. And one of the reasons he even cleared the temple was they had set up shop in the place where those that weren't part of the Jewish nation, they, that's where they came to worship God. And these folks were getting in the way of that. And what Jesus really is expressing is don't get in their way of figuring out God's love either. And by the way, don't be self-reliant. It takes God. So neither traditions nor determination are sufficient substitutes for what Jesus Christ does, for what the gospel of Christ applied to our life can accomplish. So it's personally experienced, it's productive in practice, and penetrating to the world around us. So are we doing that? And is this not the definition of why we exist as a church? Isn't it? To develop authentic believers or authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impact the world. To begin a personal relationship with Christ. To grow in that relationship. To to learn to be his followers. And then to make an impact in those around us. Isn't that why we exist? When does that happen? Essentially, it's when we're surrendered. When we say, God, hand me, when we say, God, I'm not wanting to take the chisel and the hammer out of your hand. I'm allowing you access. And I will be quiet long enough to allow you to do your work. I met a guy this week, a conversation I didn't plan on having. Um, I went somewhere else to study for a little while and to read for a little while and As I was sitting there, I was kind of overhearing conversations around me. And 
ran across this, this guy, and these two guys were right next to me having this conversation. And as they were having this conversation, you couldn't help but overhear. I mean, I was one seat away. And so I started to pack my things, and it, not because they were being disruptive. It was just about that time for me to move on down the road. And so as I sat there and listened, um, this one guy made a statement to the other guy, I don't believe that God puts anybody in a spot where he doesn't design them to be. And essentially saying, I'm not trusting faith, but I'm trusting that God is at work in the lives of individuals. And as I listened just a little bit more and was getting ready to pack up, I heard him make these kind of statements. I was in this place and I've been working on this for so long. And God brought me to a spot where I met this guy. And as he expressed a need in East Africa, the thing that I've been working on for 10 years matched up with the need that he was expressing. And I could do nothing but say yes. I sensed that God was at work in that particular place. And so I sat there and just going, you have no idea what we're talking about Sunday. And I was listening to that story and and just kind of hung around for a little bit. And the verse came to mind. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so they will not be unfruitful. And I went, there's your face, dude, on this verse. And I wonder if we, are, if we get a pressing need placed in front of us, will we respond the same way that that guy did? Or are we going to push God out? God is still working in the lives of individuals. Sometimes we don't understand what that even looks like, but we know that He does. On Thursday, on Thursday, Jerry, Jerry Green, and you know him, he sits right down here. He and Rita, all the time. Um, Rita works in the office, and he went into cardiac arrest. Some of you know that, some of you don't. But it happened at work. And there happened to be some co-workers that took care of him immediately. And, and, I, and I won't go into to all the different pieces of this. Um, but I will let you know that today he's still breathing. Um, he's still doing well. Although he's hurting, he's still doing well. And he'll be likely transferred to the main Duke Hospital today for some further tests. Uh, they still have some work to do. But the fact is, he's still breathing. Which is a, a miracle because as, as I heard testimonies, that is not the normal for somebody that was in his particular situation. That God still had a reason to, to work in his life. And really, if you were to ask Jerry, and I'm, and, I, and I'm going into that imagination kind of section, if you were to ask Jerry, say, hey, Jerry, if, um, if I told you, if I told you Thursday morning, this is what's going to happen about mid-morning, what would Jerry do? No, oh, thanks. Appreciate it. I'm good. I don't need that. It would be the same thing as if I walked up to you and, um, and, and I just kind of did that number without you paying attention, what would you do? You'd flinch, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be real sure what would happen. 
And when, when God presses in on us and teaches us things, sometimes we flinch as a means of self-protection when really it's God doing something miraculous in our life that he wants to do something miraculous on the back end with. That I'm convinced, and, and Rita texted me this morning, I said, what do you want me to share? She said, God still has things to do with Jerry and in his life. I would agree. And, and we really don't know all the details of how God's going to use that particular circumstance. But we know that God uses situations like that to refine us and refine those around us. And God is in the business of doing something amazing. God is in the business of working something out so that in my life and in your life, when we look in the mirror, we look like Jesus for his glory and for what he wants to accomplish. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Have you personally experienced forgiveness in Jesus Christ? In other words, do you have a relationship with him? It means turning your life over here over to him to be surrendered to him. It's not an easy thing. It can be a difficult thing, but it's the thing that secures you for eternity. The second question is, would you say your life is productive? That, that you're really just not satisfied with mere existence, but you sense that God is working in you to accomplish a particular thing. And are you sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in and around you? This morning, the altar is open. Because I'm convinced that there are some in this room that may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And today, you can settle that. There are others in this room that have been in that same position that Susan was a little while ago. But when God starts to do the chiseling in our life, we kind of flinch and push God away. And that needs to stop. That's where you come to the altar and say, God, I just want to re-surrender my life to you. So that you can do what you need to do in me. So I'm convinced there are folks in both of those camps here this morning. The only question it will be is when God speaks to you, will you flinch and hold on to a pew? Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service.